How's it going, everybody, and welcome to the third installment of the Stupid Questions podcast. I'm Seth Hill, and today we're going to be having Jackson Laundry on the podcast, who is a professional triathlete. He is ranked number 25 in the world, according to the Professional Triathlete Organization. Today, we just have a candid conversation about his journey, how he got into the sport, a little bit of his running background, uh, his crash in 2019 that rendered his shoulder useless for a bit, um, just a little bit of his plans in the future, some new and up-and-coming science in the world of triathlon. Uh, so without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jackson Laundry. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I already started recording, but I'll I'll do like a intro and outro stuff that I'll record post um, and go from there. So we'll kind of just jump into it. I think it works really good because I don't know you super well, so I'll be able to ask a lot of genuine questions from an ignorant place. So that sounds good, man. <laughs> yeah, sweet. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, welcome to the Stupid Questions podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to just jump on. And um, even though this, this thing would be the second episode aired, or no, excuse me, third episode aired, um, before we have a lot of clout, really appreciate you jumping on. So it's really cool. Of course, yeah. So I guess to start off, um, just for myself and the listeners, like if you were gonna tell someone who Jackson Longer is from the third person, like who are you? How old is he? Where's he from? How did he get to where he is today? Well, um, where do we start? Well, I'm First. turning 30 in like a, a week. So basically 30, probably when this airs. Um, I, bo- uh, I grew up in Belleville, Ontario, sm- pretty small town, not super small town, but pretty small. Um, kind of just love sports always growing up played every sport you know hockey of course especially because Mm -hmm. it's canada and went to as competitive as a level as i could with every sport i could and um i just had a ton of energy and and always needed to be doing something uh physical and then uh, i kind of started finding endurance sports a little bit more like in high school like you do the cross-country meet and whatnot in grade school and you never really trained and stuff but i was i was reasonably good at those but nothing too crazy um and then in high school i started training a little bit and uh did a, did some triathlons i actually did my first triathlon when i was 10 um in okay. in, in my hometown and i kind of did one per year like the kids race every year and and just sort of did it but never really trained or just like every other sport i just kind of did as much as i could um and then yeah i started training a little bit my dad and i just signed up for a race when I was maybe about 15, we started training for some sprint tries and stuff oh. and uh, doing a little bit more swimming and that kind of thing. And then when I was about 17, uh, we I got a coach for a year and I was like, okay, my goal is to do an Olympic try. And I did that and that, and that went all right. And then I went to University of Guelph and um, sort of didn't really train much in my first year of university, but then kind of in the summer qualified for age group worlds and and went and did those for a couple years and i got a coach named james loring for of team lpc here in ontario and i started kind of actually training and taking it seriously and uh kind of ever since then i've just been kind of getting trying to get better all the time and gradually went into the pro scene and i was kind of probably my first pro race 2014 went more into it in 2015-16 and then did my first 70.3 in 2017. And, and that's where I started seeing more success where kind of my cycling was able to shine through a bit more. I did do some ITU stuff before that with a little bit of success, but my swim was just never quite good enough to be really competitive there. So, um, 
so yeah, that, and then I've just sort of kept going at it and, and uh, I've done, now I've done, I don't know how many 70.3s, I've got four wins, 18 podiums, um, was supposed to race this past weekend, but it was canceled, which sucked, yeah. but, uh, bunt, right? yeah, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes, I have three, three third places this year in three, in three tries, and then last year I finished off with a second in Indian Wells, so, that yeah. was pretty good. And then obviously my biggest win was um, Oceanside 2022. Yeah, yeah okay. 2022. And then um, at Worlds, I've been 70.3 Worlds, I've been fifth and seventh. So those are kind of my, my main highlights, I would say. And uh, yeah. hoping to improve on those this year uh, coming up with, you know, a couple big races in August. Yeah, for sure. So 2017 was your first uh, 70.3, you said. So that's what, seven, six years ago. Um, how, so you're like 23, 22? Uh, yeah, I would have been, I would have been probably 22 for that. Yeah. So sounds, from, wait a sec. This sounds too young. No, I guess I was. Yeah. Well, so the, from what I've kind of just observed, it seems about year 10 is when most people are like really hitting the next level in terms of like, they've been training for 10 years and like, that's where they're kind of starting, not, not peaking, but that's where their performance is like really shining through. So it seems like you've been up and coming continual. It seems like the, by year 10, hopefully you're number one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see. I'm uh, I mean, I would say that I first started seriously training when I was probably, uh, it was probably about 20, 20, I guess when I finished university is when I, what I would say started training full time. So that would have been 2014, I think. So it's coming okay. up to 10 years and, uh, I did do quite a bit of Olympic distance, uh, at the pro level for before halves. So yeah, I'd say that 10 year mark is kind of coming up pretty soon and I'm still improving. And I mean, so is everybody else. It's getting really, yeah. really, uh, competitive. So it's, it's pretty exciting and I've been able to kind of keep holding my own, but I've got to kind of have that breakthrough to, to get on that podium for worlds and, you yeah. know, pick up some big performances, hopefully at, you know, the PTO us open as well coming up soon. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm curious when you, cause you said you started training seriously, you know, several years back now, but then before that, before you had a coach, what did that training look like for you? Was it just like, Oh, I'm going to allot this many hours and do whatever on the bike and run swim or what did that look like in that transform? Um, before I went pro or had a coach, well, before I got my first coach ever, when I just did those couple races when I was in high school, I, my dad and I would just, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we would just go out and train hard every workout. Like we didn't work out very much. We maybe only trained like eight hours a week, but or or less, but we would just go out and go hard the whole time. Cause that's what mm -hmm. we, that's a, you know, when you come from a sport background, like hockey or whatever, like you're trying as hard as you can all the time. It's kind of different. Like you're not really resting and doing those kinds of things. So we would go push ourselves really hard. And then when we first got our coach and he would give us easy runs, we didn't really get it. We we're like, what the heck is this? And that's where yeah. we first started learning about building like aerobic base and, and that. Um, so for a few years there, I, I would train, I would train like pretty normally in the, you know, spring, summer, but I wouldn't really train in the, in the fall winter much i might do a couple workouts a week but mostly mm. i would just yeah I, I probably got my workouts in that's like kind of what allowed me to improve i would get like two good interval sessions of biking running and swimming a week um and then i just didn't have much mileage like i was only training eight to 12 hours a week for a few years 
Um, and I never really got my mileage up above like 20 hours or 18 hours until I was probably, yeah, until after university. And then I had yeah. time and I was old enough to handle it. And then, yeah, now I'm training, you know, 25 to 30 hours every week, pretty much, um, except for taper weeks, obviously. But, uh, yeah, so it kind of evolved slowly, like never really took like any huge, crazy jumps, just yeah. sort of slowly over time, learned to handle more and also shifted away from doing other jobs and stuff when, when I started being able to make some money from triathlon, which helped yeah. a ton to be able to train more. What were you doing outside of triathlon, like, I guess, during or post-college and kind of moving into this profession? Yeah, the only job I had after university was um, the running room, like a running store here in Canada. Um, just worked like... It was variable, but for it kind of dwindled off. Like when I first started, I was working like 15 hours, maybe 20. And then um, it would it eventually got to a point where I was just like actually starting to make money from the sport. And it was basically minimum wage, like maybe a little bit more. But I yeah. was like, literally, if I don't work this job for the whole year and I just have like one more good result, I'm going to make more money doing that. So, so I just kind of didn't make much sense. I had a human kinetics degree, um, which is a great which helped me learn a lot about athletics yeah. and performance in the human body and stuff. But in terms of employment, like you got to kind of get another degree after that, if you want to get, um, you know, a good job in your field. So, and I was sure. like not prepared to do that and it's too expensive. And I was like, well, let's go for this sport thing and just see what happens there. And I can always go back to school, you know, whenever you're only young once and then yeah. you can always go back to school whenever, yeah. when you're 40. Do whatever yeah. yeah. So, like, in that process of becoming and deciding, okay, I'm going to go for this pro thing, specifically even getting your elite card, was that something that you were like, oh, I'm here, I think I can get it relatively easily, or was that, like, a very concentrated, focused part of the journey to get that? Uh, no, it wasn't that hard. Like, in Canada, we don't have, like, and well, when I got it, there were some standards in terms of, like, you had to um, perform within a certain percentage of a winning time at a pro race or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But then they're, but now they've kind of removed any of those performance standards. Like anyone can kind of just get it. Uh, but at oh, that really? time it wasn't that difficult for me to get, like I was performing pretty well at the age group level, like kind of almost semi-professionally. Um, so it, that wasn't a huge stretch for me at the short course stuff. Like I was already pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was easy enough to get, but I know it's a little bit different in the USA. It can be a little harder to qualify for sure. Uh, especially now that like the pros are going so fast, um, it's ridiculous. That makes it hard, makes it hard yeah. to kind of get in there. Yeah. There's like several different ways. I'm actually trying to do it. Um, and one way is like, this seems relatively easier is getting 106 points at two races. I just did a race like at Blue Ridge and got 12th overall and it's like 105.9. So I'm hoping to like <sighs> beg them to round. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. So yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I, there's a, there's a lot of different ways. That's interesting though. Now you said in Canada that you don't have to like do anything super specific. You just kind of go and get it. No. Yeah. You have to get like medical exams and stuff like that to get cleared, which is kind of weird yeah. because it's not like you're doing anything different than the age groupers and they don't have to do yeah. that. So if anything, yeah. the age groupers would be more at risk, especially if you're starting later in life or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, that costs a little bit of money, no big deal. And you just, you know, I think it's a 200 bucks a year or something we pay for 
our yeah. Triathlon Canada Elite um, license. license. And then obviously you got to pay for the Ironman one, but that's a lot cheaper than race entries for age groupers. So <laughs> the, uh, the barriers aren't too, too bad for getting in. But yeah, in Canada, like even though you can get it pretty easily, you don't see a lot of guys doing it or girls that like don't really deserve it. Um, mm -hmm. I think most people know like when they're ready to at least be competitive uh, in the yeah. pro field or try to kind of make your way into one of those groups. Yeah, it's almost more intimidating in some ways because then you're like guessing, oh, am I actually ready? But um, Yeah, for sure. So it, throughout this journey, I'm sure there have been a lot of ups and downs. Um, in 2019, you had a pretty bad crash. Uh, what what happened? So tell us a little bit of the story, and then what was that recovery journey like? And maybe it's still going on even. Yeah. Um. So it was the seventy point three worlds in Nice, and basically I just was going on the descent. I wasn't honestly. I wasn't like having an amazing race or anything. Not that that's really relevant, but I was kind of in the mix. I think I was in around twentieth. Um. And I just the that course, the descent, like it's just crazy um yeah especially back then when like most people didn't have disc brakes yet and i think you know for me now i wouldn't go and race a course like that for a championship just because like i'm not willing to take the risks on the descending yeah. and i'm just not as skilled at it like a lot of those guys who are born in europe and they ride crazy descents with switchbacks and stuff all the time for them yeah. it's normal but when you're not used to that it's uh it's a it's a bit sketchy. So anyway, yeah. I just took a turn too fast. Um, it was pretty much a 108. Like it was, you couldn't really see cause there was like a wall on the right side. So you couldn't see where the exit of the turn was or how much you had left. Mm. And towards the end of the turn, it actually got like more sharp, which is kind of weird. Like here, you don't, you don't see that much in North America. The turn like yeah. hits its apex and then it doesn't get any more sharp after that. But anyways, I just released my brakes too early and picked up too much speed. Couldn't stop. Ended up going over the handlebars and hitting a fence post. I hit uh. my shoulder like right, but right here, right at the acromion. Like if you feel like the really kind of hard part of your shoulder there, that was where I hit it. Um, and then it just mm. shattered my shoulder blade and my collarbone. And uh, luckily I didn't Jeez. break anything else. Um, but yeah, pretty brutal recovery because it was like, I needed to repair three areas with metal. Um, and then getting home uh -huh. and stuff was brutal because it's like you can't really support it when your shoulder's totally destroyed like that. Like a sling's yeah. not really going to do much. So that that was tough. And then, then you know, once I got the surgery, recovery went pretty quick. Um, and then I got the one piece of metal out that, I would, that wasn't going to be permanent. I got that out after about three months, a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I improved quickly after that. And I kind of got back, like I was pretty much back to shape six months later. Um, the problem was that's when COVID hit. So we did that one race. We got that 70.3 Campeche in Mexico in 2020, right at the start of the year. Yeah, and man. then, uh, that was like the last thing that happened. And then they shut down everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was tough. Like financially it was tough. Cause I was going to race like five more races. Uh, yeah. 20, 2019 and usually i'm consistently getting at least a couple podiums and so so that was you know a big hit and then covid was what it was and everybody had to deal with that so so that was tough yeah. but but yes yeah, as, as far as physically like i it's just not 
the shoulder's never really going to be the same, but I'm kind of able to manage it. Like I luckily yeah. I have pretty good mobility. So I have like this, the mobility that's left is kind of like, it's the same that a lot of people have anyway. So it's not that mm -hmm. bad. Um, obviously I had better mobility before, so that would have been nice, but I'm still able to be competitive in the swim and I've been struggling. I'm, my swimming has been really hit and miss since then. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's i'm not blaming it on the crash or anything but i've just got to figure my swimming back out but definitely my fastest swimming was back in like 2016 um in terms of pool swimming but i have been able to still maintain pretty good open water and i've, I've had some really good swims in 2021 and 2022 and then this year's been a bit off but i'm kind of revisiting what i was doing in my training and sort of trying to go back to more similar to what i was doing then yeah. so that i can kind of take advantage because obviously you know that's what was working so you know i'm kind of on the on the right path now i think and it's important because august with championship races like you're not going to be on the podium if you're two minutes back so yeah um that's kind of do the you goal. know did you pick out like specifically what it was that you were doing back in 2016 area in the pool that was attributing to that yeah um well i think i think so but i still have to do it for a while to see but it's <laughs> yeah. uh it's basically just more band work for me like really trying oh, to really? remove my kick from from the equation um to sort of like it basically allows my lats to stay more activated and it keeps my body position higher once i like am swimming normally um because yeah. i kind of got away from that and then i realized like i was just fighting the water a lot and i just I lost a little bit of that body position. So you're, you're pushing yourself through the water more if you're not as high up. So that's kind yeah. of what I've landed on, but I've just started to kind of realize that over the last couple of weeks. And I've got a good training block now before us open where I can really work on it. And even still, like I, like today I did a swim workout and I sort of actually finally felt pretty good again, where I actually yeah. feel like I'm not totally inefficient. So obviously there's a long way to go, but feel like i'm on the right path now so we'll see i mean that's this is sport like you've it's it's a yeah. lot of ups and downs especially in swimming for me it's like sometimes it just clicks and sometimes it doesn't and it's it's a really constant battle for sure yeah how many yards is, uh, or meters are you swimming a week right now uh about 2500 meters probably and maybe maybe a little more but yeah around that range so basically every day yeah six days a week i'll swim Saturdays yeah. I take off swimming and Same. more or less off training. I just take a little easy day, but I yeah. try to get weekends to be actual weekends. I know most people can train more on the weekends, but for me, it kind of makes sense to, to train more during the week. Yeah. So you coach quite a bit as well. I know you've got several elites and upcoming or several athletes and several elite up and coming athletes. Um, in your training style, your coaching style, do you encourage a day off once per week? Or are you kind of like just one day, super easy, whatever you want to do? Or how does that look? I actually don't coach anymore. I was coaching oh, really? for like yeah. three years. And I just recently moved away from it just for time reasons, like to be able to yeah. focus more on training. And I kind of missed it, but I don't even know how I had time for it now that I <laughs> am not doing it. Yeah. Um, but I would, it depends on the person, but one day a week off is great um for a lot of people just to have that mental break yeah. um and then two days whether you take a day fully off or not i think you need two days a week that are very chill 
yeah. recovery days because it's just too much to try to train hard six days a week. Yeah. Um, but people do different things. I like to spread those days out. Um, so I take my easy days Wednesdays and Saturdays. And then mm-hmm. some people like to try to put two of them, two easy days together and then five hard days in a row. Uh, yeah, that's tough. I, I don't think too, too many people are doing that anymore. But one thing that I do that's probably a little bit different than a lot of pros is my easy days are like really easy. It's, it's not really even training. I wouldn't call it. It's more active recovery. Um, so it's like hundred Watts on the bike, like that 120 Watts, something ridiculous, like a, a third of my FTP. Yeah. Like you're not training, you're just moving your body and like, you can go a little bit more than that if you're feeling okay. But I think it's super important to not, um, try to think of it as training because if you're doing that, you're pushing a little bit and you're just not getting a recovery. And then for me, I never run on a rest day. Um, so the two days a week that I don't run are my recovery days. Okay. So, um, on the body. Yeah. And, and in my opinion, to go easy enough, you're like, you're end up running so slow that like, it's just, it's not even worth it really you're better off biking like because uh-huh. i i do most of my base running at like i don't know 7 30 7 45 mile pace which is still pretty slow but that's not that low of a heart rate if you were to look at it um because running is just so much harder on your body than yeah anything else like if i'm spinning on the trainer super chill my heart rate might be like 100 maybe even less but running it's kind of hard to keep it anything under 120 yeah. um so Unless it's just you're walking <laughs> yeah basically um, or going crazy well, slow, but interesting. Okay, cool. That may influence my coaching philosophy. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, um, so going back to the crash really quick, I had a quick question cause I know for the, maybe the top 10 in the world, I would assume, or maybe even the top 25, which I guess you're number 25 in the world now, according to PTO, you do have opportunities to maybe have enough cash to like, if you do have a crash, you're going to have the insurance, at least the funds to take care of that. Whenever you had that crash in 2019 and the surgeries involved, did you did you have insurance? If that's such a personal question, and did this, your sponsors, anyone, kind of help put some money toward that? Because I know that probably wasn't cheap. Yeah, I was able to get most of it covered with insurance, mm-hmm. um, so that was great. But it take it took forever. Like it took like six months or what more. Oh yeah, because um, Canada, you guys have um, what is it free called? Universal healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. So. That was all pretty much free. The main cost was like the actual flights to get home because I came home like the next day because they said they couldn't really operate on it there. They didn't know what to do, basically. (laughs) It was pretty complicated. Like I had to get referred to a lot of like specialists to find the right person to know what to do. Um, So anyway, the flights were expensive and it was me and my wife, so both of us. And then that was the main cost. A little bit of cost at the hospital in France, but that was like kind of crazy how cheap it was it was like 500 us or less for like cat scan and <coughs> excuse me yeah. mri and no i think it was mri i can't remember it was x-ray and one other one um and then all the stitches and everything like that too yeah but uh-huh. but yeah no it was it wasn't it didn't end up cost me too much in the end except for the lost income um so that was the tough part yeah for sure um I want to talk a little bit about identity. So are you familiar with Greg Bennett? You know who that is? Yeah. I assume you probably do. 
so I was talking to him and um, a while back and just asking different questions. And one topic of conversation we got on was how around a lot of elite athletes, Olympians, what have you, after they kind of reach that pinnacle, say 39, 40, whatever, the, the sport days kind of are coming to an end whenever they have to like make a choice to step back into like a different part of the world, their life and everything that they've been a part of for the past, you know, 20, 30 years has been just so completely wrapped up in sport that their identity was like, that was who they were and they weren't sure how to like transfer. So my question to you is, and you're still young. I mean, you have quite a bit ahead of you. Do you feel like that your identity is in a good place with what you're doing? And do you, do you completely identify with Jackson Lunge, the triathlete, or do you have like other parts of your life where you feel like, well, I could transfer to that or I can be that person or. Yeah. Um, interesting question. I, I haven't like thought too much about after triathlon until recently. Like I've started kind of thinking about it more now that I'm like turning 30 and I'm like, okay, well, a lot of people retire in their thirties. Um, from triathlon that is not from regular stuff <laughs> yeah um but i don't think i'm gonna have any problem moving on because it's as much as i love the sport i also love other things in life that i don't get to do that much um so you know just i don't spend as much time with family or friends as i'd like to and i don't yeah. do other fun sport like i like i said as a kid I, i'm always doing sports and like everything like anything i can do but i can't just go and play around a golf or do like whatever yeah. I want all the time. Cause you're, you're recovering and you're training and like, it's not going to help you. Uh, and I'm trying to be the best I can be. And I'm taking it seriously to the point where I'm willing to give those things up, right. but not forever. Um, so, you know, I don't, I always want to be involved with the sport. I think I'll probably be a coach beyond, uh, when I'm done racing, I'll definitely try to still continue coaching and, maybe even doing some other things involved with sport, like announcing or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's all, I almost, as much as I'm not like in a hurry, I'm almost looking forward to also having, you know, other things that I can just do more. And hopefully if I'm successful in my career and I can, you know, be successful coach after I can have a little bit of freedom to where I can do things I want and go, go yeah. to places I want and things like that. And that would be great. Sure. Um, but obviously I need to continue improving the sport and sort of build up what I'm able to accomplish in order to be able to do that. So, um, so yeah, I think I have a pretty good idea of where I'll be after, but like, so there's some people who, who train because they love training and there's some people who like train because they love racing and then there's a mix. And I would definitely say I'm more towards like, I love racing and I like training, but if it was just, if there was no racing, I would not train nearly as much as I do. Like I would, you know, I'd run and maybe bike and here and there, but I would, yeah, I'd go do weights and I'd do other stuff and sports and, and kind of just keep it a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, for sure. Good answer. So what is it that you, I guess, from a income driven standpoint, you mentioned maybe announcing and coaching, but is there any other like area or would you consider yourself more entrepreneurial and you want to start something or? Uh, I don't know if I'd want to start a business outside of like coaching, um, mm -hmm. just because pr anything like product related is just so hard and competitive and it's just, there's a lot of things going on that I don't fully understand. Like I totally respect anyone who goes for that, but it's tough. Sure. Like you see how many uh, cycling apparel or triathlon apparel companies that go out of business and, 
-hmm. even bike companies. It's just really hard um, to make it as that. And I'm just not really interested in that. Um, I'm more interested in like the interpersonal kind of, you know, coaching or even like speaking and, and sort of or consulting, things like that, where I can actually have a conversation with someone and try to try to, you know, help get the best out of that person uh, using what I've learned, but also, you know, what what research shows works for people or what different things work for um, for different personalities or different strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, I'm still learning all those things now. And I think by the time my career is done in training, I'll have learned a lot that I can hopefully help me to, you know, help others. Yeah. Do you want to train mostly elite athletes or all elite athletes, or do you want to do a mixture or? I'll probably do. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'd like, I like training elite athletes, but part of the, you know, bottom line is there's not that many of them. Um, so I don't think I'd be exclusive to elites. I also like, I really like training age group athletes too, uh, because especially because there's a lot, there's a lot of room on the table to improve, which is always exciting. Um, yeah. And it feels like, you know, the things I've learned, like an age group athlete, especially a newer one, has just so much to still learn that you can help them a lot. Like with an elite, it can be tough and it's a great challenge, but I think I'd like to probably have a balance of both. Um, But we'll see. It'd also be nice to do some in-person coaching. I know most stuff's online now. Yeah. And I'd like to kind of see if there's a way I can do some in-person stuff because I really think that's kind of... Yeah. the way to get that next level of improvement out of the athletes. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I first started, um, well, actually before I started being coached, who is now my coach that I got invited to some track workouts and as he spent a little time, it's like, let me ask him questions and stuff. The motivation, especially when I knew he was going to be at the track workout is even when I started being coached by him, was always a little bit higher and I think I always dug a little bit deeper to show him up, but yeah, yeah. it was fun stuff. Um, so, Recently, you released a video about your, I guess, FTP journey over the past 10 years. Uh, for those who may not know what FTP is, functional threshold power on the bike. It's a measure to train by um, in percentages. So you were talking about like these specific key workouts that you do on a weekly or biweekly basis. Kind of a few examples maybe of what those are and, and like even like percentage wise, like how often, how frequent were your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, so I don't repeat like the same workout very often, probably the, the most common one I've done over the last couple of years is, um, cause I'm doing most of my training on the trainer now for it, just doing Zwift because we kind of found that you can just get better quality in and then it's riding outside at least where I live, it's pretty stressful. Like there's a lot of, like, it's just not that safe. Like there's not a lot of bike lanes. The car is too, too busy. Um, and you're just, I don't know. It's just not worth it to me anymore to do that all that often. Um, so I've been doing a lot of stuff on Zwift. The kind of one of the key ones I've been doing that's, I guess, pretty unstructured, but really fun. Um, maybe I'll do this like once a month at most is like, uh, I'll do a Zwift race that's like about 30k uh, with some something hilly but not like a crazy climb just like something with some hills where you're spiking the effort and then some spots where you're drafting and chilling mm-hmm. uh, and like going hard but not like all out I would say like keep it a really good effort um, but leave you know it's still training like you're not trying to kill yourself yeah um, and then I take a break 
20, 30 minutes, just spin, get some calories in and sort of recover. And then I'll go to the Alp to Zwift and do a rep up that just like between 75 and 85% of FTP, depending how I'm feeling. Like sometimes you're pretty fr crushed from that race and you don't have much left. So yeah. you're just like holding what you can. You might not mm -hmm. even be able to do 75%, maybe 70%. And for some people that's going to be too long. Um, cause you know, for me, it's like 50 minutes or less, but for a lot of people, it might be like an hour and 20 minutes. So it's like, that's too long. Maybe go do the Epic KOM instead where it's like 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, but in any case doing that, and it's like really good endurance builder where you're trying to hold good power after, you know, a really hard effort with a lot of variability. And then for on the way up the op, just to make it interesting, I try to alternate like each switchback. I'll do like arrow, like standing arrow uh -huh. bars and go normal. And then for the next switch back, I'll do just like seated climb, like low cadence. Uh, and that kind of, if anything, it just breaks it up mentally and helps you kind of get through it and, and work a little bit on that strength. So, so that's a fun one. Um, but you know, it's not necessarily like the Zwift race you're going, <clears throat> you're going to be going over FTP and then under over under. So it's kind of an over under yeah. workout. And then mm -hmm. the other one's more endurance. Like that really is just general, probably more of a 70.3 specific aspect to it. Um, sure. But when it comes to like really pushing the high end, trying to get the FTP up, another one that I'll do is like, you can do this either on Zwift or outside. Like I've done it outside a bunch around here where I'll go to, I'll pick a route that's like a three hour ride or two and a half or whatever. And it has four like three or four like pretty good climbs on it that are between like one and four minutes mm -hmm. and i'll do each climb like three times and i'll do them like really hard like 110 115 percent ftp maybe mm -hmm. even 120 if it's a short one and i'll do each three times really hard and that's pretty much the set is like how much for me it's like how much time can i spend above 400 watts um so obviously for other people it would be whatever number, but you're trying to spend time quite a bit above threshold. And then you end up at the end, once you've done all the hills three times each or four or whatever you choose to do, you add it up and you're like, oh, I've spent quite a bit of time like way above threshold. And it's not as hard as just doing like it's as doing kind of a, like mentally it's easier than doing like a structured interval set because the hill helps you produce the power. And then also like, you know where the finish line of the hill is yeah kind of like it's just a little bit easier when you're doing game. it that way um but obviously a lot of it is just intervals like you know um i'll do a lot of drop down stuff so sometimes it'll be like uh like i think the work i have today is like six minutes maybe five minutes like at 90 percent, and then one minute at 115 percent, and then four minutes rest and then i do that a bunch of times um so part of it so that's like a good one for pushing above threshold when you're already fatigued from that other interval. Um, but yeah, really, if you want to get your threshold high, you do have to just spend time above threshold and, and doing the basic like 10 by three minutes hard and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But it's, I try not to focus too much like on that specific number because I, a lot of people have different philosophies. Like some people will do like, Oh, I'm going to do a VO two block where all I do is VO two work then all I'm going to do is threshold, then all I'm going to do is tempo. And I don't believe in that personally at all. I think, you know, maybe the science shows that that kind of works well, but it's also just easier to measure when you're doing the same workout for that long. Like how, 
it's easier to quantify any improvements. I think a mix of all types of intervals kind of throughout your training with a bias towards higher intensity, you know, far in advance of your race. And then as you approach your race, the intensities on average coming down sort of towards race pace, but this yeah. doesn't mean you're doing no VO two work in the last month of before your race. Like you're still mixing it up. Uh, and then also just for staying motivated, like it's, I don't understand how some people go and do like the same workout for a month. Like I could yeah. not, and Try especially mentally, because you're always going to think, Oh, I got to do better than I did last time. I got to do right. better than I did. And that's not always possible. Like you're gonna be tired or like, you can't improve every single workout. So, um, yeah, for me, those are the things that work and just training with friends, like making it fun. Um, yeah. it's been, hu it's huge just to stay motivated and, and push yourself. And, you know, that's, I only ride, I probably ride 10, 11 hours a week. Um, and that's kind of a good sweet spot for me, but obviously most people can't do that much, but if you're doing two good workouts a week, that's pretty much you know, the, the bread and butter. And then beyond that, it's sort of like, if you can get more mileage in here and there, that's great. Um, but those two, two solid bike workouts is the main thing to keep improving in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing. I actually wrote some of that down too. Cool. Um, is there anything right now that you're studying or learning about within the sport that you find interesting and worth sharing? That I'm studying? Yeah. Or like maybe diving a little bit more into some up and coming mm. science. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's always little things like nutrition wise. It seems like people are tr starting to push the amount of carbs that they're taking in even more. Um, there's something. Yeah. There's some research. Like the only kind of research I saw was it was in ultra runners. And if you were able to take 120 grams of carbs an hour, it, it reduced muscle damage significantly like compared to 90 or 60 or 30 grams an hour. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily applicable to triathlon or not, maybe for Ironman full distance yeah. for half distance, not sure if there'd be a performance benefit there or if it'd be even possible to absorb 120 grams an hour. Um, yeah, cause your intensity is a little bit higher, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm kind of making sure I'm aware of and following. Um, if I do a full later this year, I'm probably going to start trying in my training to push the carbs a little bit more, see if I can get over a hundred grams. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other piece is nutrition. Like people have been taking ketones for like a few years now. Um, it seems like, performance wise there's no benefit like if anything it is doesn't help performance to take it during or before but it might help with recovery um so it there was a study where they looked at um your body's production of epo after training because after you train your body produces epo to repair your red blood cells right. and if you took ketones it seemed to help produce more EPO, therefore maybe more red blood cells, but it's pretty preliminary. It was like one study, but yeah. I haven't taken ketones as recovery, um, like after hard sessions along with protein and carbs, obviously. Um, yeah. but you in terms have of, or you have not. Yeah, I have, you have. but I'm sponsored by the feed. So 
I get obviously get that stuff all free. Um, but I did a really good, I, I don't know if it's out yet, but my nutrition club has a really good talk where I uh, talk to the, the nutrition experts at the feed about all the different aspects of nutrition and what things work and what things don't or, you know, when things might work or not. Um, so if you want to check that out in more detail, that's on my nutrition club. I'll send you the link. The snack squad nutrition club. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually up sure. yet. I'm kind of, cause it was, it was recorded a while ago and then I just can't remember if she put it up yet, but either way it'll be up. If it's not, then I'll, I'll follow up and make sure it goes up soon. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. I'm well, yeah, signing that's up right now. Perfect. Um, so the other thing it's kind of interesting is this new bike, this new Morton bicarbonate stuff. Um, bicarbonate's been around forever. It helps buffer lactate. So it basically helps, helps you produce more anaerobic power. So mm -hmm. any kind of intervals, it'll be more, um, any kind of efforts above threshold or around threshold, it'll help. Um, that being said, it, it usually causes GI issues. So Morton found this way to kind of encapsulate it where it'll pass through your stomach before you absorb it. So it theoretically won't cause GI issues as much. Um, so I have tried it and I felt like it worked for sure. The problem is I think it affects the amount of nutrition you're able to take in because it is, it has a ton of sodium, like one yeah. serving of their, like the stronger version has six grams of sodium. So 6,000, <laughs> so 6,000 milligrams because diabetes and a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe high blood pressure, but, um, 6,000 milligrams because it's the product that you're taking is sodium bicarbonate to get the bicarbonate. It's already bound to sodium. So you, it has to be there. So right. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe for short course or for things that are like for just workouts, like maybe just a hard bike workout now and then or something, it could be good. But for a race where you need to take in a lot of, a lot of calories and a lot of fluids, and you don't want your sodium balance to be off. It's probably not worth like it. Um, I tried it in a bike workout and I felt really good. And, but I could tell that like I was kind of bloated and I wouldn't want to take in as much nutrition and I was mm -hmm. super thirsty from all the sodium. So I was just drinking straight water, not sport drink. Um, Interesting. so kind of something to think about, but some people would be fine. Like it also depends on how much sodium you need. Cause I don't need a lot of sodium because my sodium rate isn't that much when I sweat. Um, but if some people have a really high sweat sodium, well, maybe they can take this Morton stuff and they're already taking a lot of sodium anyway. So it's possibly better for them. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting new thing, but I wouldn't say it's like a big game changer for long course. Um, some short course guys are doing it. Apparently a lot of them are um, with success because if you don't have to take much in during the race, it's probably yeah, like, like Olympic distance or shorter yeah, you mean? Olympic or sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I was just looking it up. It looks like there's multiple products, the different systems and how you, apply. yeah, it comes all together and it's just like a, you take, you only actually eat the one thing, but it's like, Oh, you put this in here and then it sort of turns into a gel and then you put the bicarb in it and then you swallow that like you don't chew the bicarbonate pills you just kind of swallow them um but yeah it's uh it's an interesting new thing but nothing i don't think anything's really changing 
Yeah. People are just getting better. Like obviously equipment keeps getting a little bit better and positions mm-hmm. and aerodynamics. Um, the shoes now are really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes a difference. Um, what are you running in for your races now? This year I've been using the, uh, the new Vaporfly next percent threes. Like so, yeah. So those are good. Um, they're like all these new super shoes are kind of, they load your legs a little bit differently. Um, which, you know, in the past I haven't trained in them enough, but this year I started to, after my first two or three races, I realized like my form was kind of falling apart cause my legs weren't used to the way that those shoes were. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna, I've started training more in them and then it, I got used to it and then I thought, okay, this is going to really help my run in the later stages. And then I didn't get to race to test it out last weekend. So still, still gonna, you know, be able to continue to do that. Like one workout a week. I think that's pretty important to not just do all your runs. Yeah. I don't really do track workouts, but yeah, you know, workout, whatever it is, your intervals do maybe one of your workouts a week in them. Otherwise I don't think running them too much. Um, (laughs) because yeah, they, they sort of, they take a load off of certain parts of your legs and add it to others. And I think also they're super expensive. So it doesn't really make sense to run all your mileage in them. And then you're going and yeah. they don't last that long either. Like hundred miles or something. Yeah. They're not super durable. So, um, I think there's a balance there for sure. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a shoe sponsor right now? Nope. I, no. I think I'm the only pro in the world who pays full price for all my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just because no one's reached out or how does that typically work? Someone has to reach out before you can make that kind of a thing happen. Yeah, you can, there's different ways. Um, like you can reach out to sponsors and just say that you're interested and then see if they're interested or not. But a lot of times sponsors reach out to you. And the thing with shoes and stuff is I kind of want to be able to wear whatever I feel is the best. Yeah. So, you know, if, whatever certain companies reached out i'd be like well i don't know about using them because i think the nikes are the fastest um yeah so it's kind of just you know more for performance reasons than anything yeah for sure so um how do you think endurance sport has changed the way that you think on more like a philosophical level well um if anything like you just kind of feel super fortunate to be able to do this like it's kind of a crazy if you think about sort of how people from other countries are just trying to survive like there's that mm-hmm. and then there's also only until super recently in human history have we been able to do these like leisure activities um right because because the world has gotten to a place where you know it's pretty it's easy enough to survive that we can do things for fun like this. And it's kind of yeah. like really lucky dude, that we're alive at this time, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And who knows how long that'll, it'll stay like that for. So you just enjoy it. And like, also, a, you know, a friend of mine mentioned to me the other day, that like, uh, I think it was Cody. I was Cody Beals. How every time you get to race, it's like a celebration of your health in a sense. It's like mm-hmm. you're pushing yourself and you're, you're able to do these amazing things physically and test yourself and like you know you're not you don't know if you're always going to be healthy tons of people who aren't healthy enough or ever able to do something like that so it's right. uh it's a really cool opportunity and like while i'm young and while i'm able to train and see what i could do it's kind of like i gotta do it i don't have a choice like i yeah. i regret it if i didn't um 
but yeah, it just kind of makes me feel super lucky. Um, but that's definitely something I didn't think too much about, you know, 10 years ago. And I don't know if it's the sport itself or just kind of getting older and realizing that, sure. uh, the, you know, that I'm pretty lucky. It's not just, it's not just like everybody has these opportunities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good answer. How often do you train with Cody? Do you guys live in the same ish area? Yeah. Yeah. We live really close by. We train together at least a few times a week, typically. Uh, okay. probably, you know, usually two swim workouts or three and then one or two bikes and runs as well. We're doing a lot of our harder training together. So that's been good. And Taylor Reed as well. And then there's a couple of younger guys around who are kind of their age group athletes looking to hopefully move up to pro pretty soon. And so we've got a nice group here. Um, and then, yeah, I'll train with like the RTS group when we're in the same area, but typically, you know, we kind of just meet up for races and maybe a training camp here and there. Yeah. What's RTS stand for? The real triathlon squad. Okay. So yeah. there's, there's a group of eight of us pros and, um, you know, we just kind of have a group, similar sponsors and there's, we've had, we've had a really good year. Tamara has been doing awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've had some, a few podiums. Mark Dubrick just won Alcatraz, yeah, which that. is really sweet. And then, uh, yeah, everybody else has been having good good days as well and representing super well. And we'll see what happened. We were gonna have like four or five of us racing at Tromblon, so that would have been fun. But yeah, um, we'll see for next. I think some of the guys are doing Oregon, and uh, we've got at least two of us in for U.S. Open, and then hopefully Mark as well. So that'll be uh, a good one. Where you know that's kind of the start of championship season in my mind because I didn't do European yeah. Open or. Um, you know, I don't think I'll be doing the Asian Open either. So U.S. Open is kind of my only PTO big race, big race yeah. of the year. And then I'll do the 70.3 Worlds, which right. will be kind of the A race. For the PTO, do you feel like they're doing a good job? Should yeah, I mean, they're, doing, they're doing what they can. I think, um, I think they're obviously, like at this point, they've spent a ton of money on the athletes and like they need to start yeah. seeing that return and that's what they're trying to do with putting these big races up where they're trying to get the same kind of big names out to them so that people who people who don't know the sport can start to follow it and learn the characters and sort of like get become a fan and that's yeah i think that's where people struggle with the pto it's it's kind of like oh well this isn't how triathlon works and these kind of different criticisms that I think are valid, but we, they also need to be thinking in terms of, um, changing, changing how the sport is, because if we want it to become a spectator sport, we need it to be fun to watch for people who don't really know triathlon. And that's kind of why they're yeah. sticking to the hundred K distance. Cause it's only like three hours and it's reasonable. Like if you're, sitting and watching, let's say it's three and a half hours. So, well, that's not that much longer than like a football game or whatever else. So or people might actually, yeah. yeah. So people have the time. Whereas if, if you're doing full distance, like no one's going to become a fan of that because they're not going to be yeah. able to watch it and understand it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so last couple of questions here to kind of wrap it up a little bit, uh, it has to do with coaching. Um, you have been with the, your same coach. You said his name's Jason. Is that right? No, James. No. James. You've been with James for 10 years. Uh, a lot of athletes I know typically cycle through coaches. Not always. Um, 
but what has that journey been like? Has there been ups and downs? Have you almost left? Have you ever considered anything more than just him or you just, you really like him? And um, It's been pretty, pretty smooth, really. I mean, you obviously every once in a while you have a disagreement on how things should be, but not very much. Um, yeah. And I think, like definitely the training and his sort of coaching philosophies and whatnot have changed over time as I've changed as an athlete. So it's kind of, it's, it's evolved as I've improved. Um, and it has had to, because the training that worked for me at one time starts, you know, you have to kind of adjust it as you get older and faster or as your mm -hmm. recovery changes, a bunch of different things. Uh, I have not seriously considered changing coaches because I've improved. I've improved pretty much yeah. constantly. Um, the only thing that's been like not a constant improvement is my swimming, which has been pretty understandable seeing as I basically, yeah, I cr crushed my shoulder. So that's really where things started to become tough. Um, but yeah, I can't see going like in terms of the programming, the structure of the workouts and the, the balancing of the training loads, I can't see anybody else being better for me um yeah i mean it's just been working really well so i know there's a lot of other coaches that have like more credentials with pro athletes and stuff but sure. um it's just i've never really seen any other coaching that's been like ooh, what these guys are doing seems amazing it's usually been sort of like well i think what i'm doing is better for me than what they're doing so why would i change mm -hmm. and like right. sort of like all this you know testing and all this lactate stuff i think that's all garbage like i don't think it really <laughs> i don't i really I, do. I, I think it's like a, it could be fine to test here and there but to base all your training around it i don't agree with and i've seen it like i've seen people go and oh i'm gonna do all this lactate stuff now and then they get worse because you're obsessed with this number and you don't care about the output and yeah. all that really matters is how hard you can go and it could be a good learning thing but it's also super hard to do like on your own it's really hard to do properly the, yeah. the machines aren't completely accurate like they can be off and so there's all these reasons why it's like all mess around with all these things or just train hard and like maybe measure it maybe measure it here and there just to see oh is the training working and like okay here's this zone we'll maybe add a little bit more of that zone but to test it almost every workout like a lot of people are doing seems crazy to me yeah. um and i don't know if like I also don't really trust that that's what the Norwegians are basing everything off of. I think they're kind of yeah. putting these little smoke bombs out there to let people go chase <laughs> after them. And uh Makes me smart. And they have they have a whole they have a whole lab dedicated to them basically. Like yeah. if they're going to do it, they're going to be able to do it right. Whereas yeah. people are going to try and do it on their own and it's kind of like eh probably yeah. it'll get messed up more often than not and you're just kind of wasting money and time. But yeah, I'm not it's saying not it doesn't work either. for anyone, but yeah, the strips themselves are a couple bucks each, are they not? Yeah, they're like three bucks each, and then the machine's four or five if you want a good one, and then, yeah, like you said, it's messy, and you gotta do it right. And then it's like, you're pricking your ear, it's like, are you gonna get an ear infection? I don't know, like, it's just all these things, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, nah, yeah. not for yeah, me. I mean, for some people, maybe, I think it can work, but uh, I'd rather not mess with it. But yeah. there's a lot of people who are doing really, really well who don't mess with that, so... Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe yeah. I'll look back ten years from now and I'll be like, man, if I just did lactate, I could have been a world champion. But uh, I think I'm on the right path for that. 
yeah, especially sure. with the improvement just... that I've been having. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that definitely work. And for me, one of them is altitude. Uh, so I'll be doing an altitude camp before worlds and trying to nice. get that benefit because it helps with my swimming a lot. And that's what I need help with basically. Yeah. You gotta get out the water quick. Where are you doing your altitude camp? I'm probably going to be going to Font Romeau in France. Um, doing nice. some training with Joe Skipper there. Oh, cool. Um, so that'll be good. And hopefully Mark Duger can come too. And then we'll have yeah. a, a good little group there. And, um, yeah. And then that helps me also with kind of getting most of the travel done. So I like go over there after US Open. Then I'm already most of the way to Finland. Like it's not a crazy time change after that. Because uh, um, that can be tough. Trying to get a time change a week before the race when you're seven hours yeah. difference. It's That's as hard of a transition as anything. So might as well get yeah. that over with three weeks before. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool, man. Um, I do want to ask one more question. Uh, just to kind of finish up, it's a bit more of a heavy one, uh, but it has to do with what happened with Colin and how that kind of came to light. Uh, I saw your video that was pretty in depth of like just you talking about it. And then um, I guess recently Lionel said one of his videos that he was getting one or two tests outside of competition where he like he saw them come in. He was happy to see that. Have you been seeing a similar trend where more tests start coming in now? And do you know who's sponsoring them and how it's working? I haven't seen any increase. I've been, I've been um, on whereabouts for a couple, maybe a year and a half, two years, and uh, I've always been tested like a decent amount out of competition, but not as much as I would like. Like, I mean, obviously getting tested's annoying, but it's like a good annoyance. It's like okay, good, yeah. they're testing me and they're testing people, um, yeah. but I didn't see any change. I actually don't think I've been tested at all since the Colin thing. Um, not out of competition anyway. They did change sort of a. They made everyone get tested before St. George. Like there was this dry blood spot testing that everyone had to do in order to get your race package, oh, which was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if you're ever. No one's going to show up to a race with drugs in their system if they're a cheater. Like they're just not. Yeah. They're just not that stupid. But. Yeah. So it's um, kind of a wash, you think? Yeah. I don't know. I. It does seem like they're at least trying to show that they're putting more of an effort in. Most of the tests are sponsored by Iron Man. Like Iron Man is who pays for the whereabouts for me. Uh, I know that, but I haven't seen much stuff the PTO is doing for drug testing. I don't know if that's changed, but I don't think they had any out of competition testing going on, um, which is not great considering they're they investing the, biggest, the most yeah. in triathlon. You'd want to see them doing it. So hopefully they've, kind of started to implement some of that but yeah i i haven't seen a huge amount of change and i don't know if like i just i don't know what's going on with that whether they're still investigating something or not but um hopefully i mean and the other thing is we don't really know if what all this stuff he said is true or not so it's kind of hard to yeah. to, to make any judgments but uh, at least they caught him and uh you know he seems to be off doing other things and hopefully finding, uh, you know, a better purpose for what he's doing in life. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's definitely more guys doing it and hopefully they can catch him, but we'll see. I mean, it's not been very much, it's not been very often we've seen long course athletes caught and yeah. hopefully that means that not many people are cheating. Um, but 
more likely it means that people who are cheating are better at avoiding the tests and getting uh so we'll see i mean if they can just increase the testing it becomes harder to avoid and yeah. people probably won't be they still probably won't get caught but they're probably going to have to cheat less in order to not get caught so that would at least be a good thing I don't want to hold you as this being a fact or anything, but when it comes to, like, if you were to say a percentage of the pro field as we know it is doing it, do you have any inclination? Uh, I have no idea, really. I would guess less than 10% just because of how expensive it probably is, like, mm-hmm. um, and hard and whatever, but hopefully less than 10%, hopefully, like, less than 5%, but I don't really know. I would guess between... I would guess between five and ten percent, but who knows? Uh, Yeah, hope hopefully less. Hopefully everybody who's ever done it has gotten caught, but but we know that that's not the case from seeing cycling and everything. So um, time will tell. Uh, Hopefully the tests keep getting better, and uh, they can actually kind of catch people more frequently, or at least discourage it a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I'll put the title of this. Jackson Laundry says 10% of all elites are cheating. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not. (laughs) Yeah, no, I won't do that. Um, Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, just to share a little bit uh, about your journey. And it'll be fun to track you for the rest of the year. And um, yeah, it's just an awesome pleasure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, good luck getting your pro card. And uh, we will uh, see you around. Cool. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Um, it was a really fun time to get to hang out with Jackson a little bit and hear about his methods of madness uh, within this sport. Uh, hear some of his opinions on doping and um, about the professional and triathlete organization as a whole and just some of his stories from his crash to um, just what he's been going through lately. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.